the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 141 for Monday, February 11th, 2008. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. Hi, John. I'm Dave. How are you? Hi, Dave. I'm John. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you, sir. Uh, too bad you couldn't make it for uh, Duff's big party. Hi, Duff. Awesome party. Yeah, but I, I, you were we, you were feeling mighty low. I, I had a, uh, yeah, I had a weird cold on Saturday. So, or I guess not a weird cold, just a cold. But, uh, but I'm better now, and I'm glad that I didn't travel all weekend. Though I, I miss seeing everyone. Uh, but tonight we've got all kinds of stuff to talk about, mostly networking and perhaps some other stuff if. Uh, if time permits us to do so. And of course, you know, obviously we aren't under any real time constraint here, but we do like to fit into that, uh, you know, 50 minute or less kind of range because we find that that just works for all, for all of us, meaning John and I, and of course all of you, uh, before we get into the show, though, John, I do need to mention something we had uh, last month. And I think it may have started right at the end of December or, or at the beginning of January. We had, we did two shows where we brought in a sponsor uh, called 20 Mac apps at 20 Mac mm. And Mark Hausen, the uh, gentleman who runs 20 Mac apps, came to uh, the, the folks at Backbeat actually came to Tony and uh worked with her to, to negotiate an ad and actually prepaid the ad. And, and so we ran the, uh, the, the spots for them and thought everything was great until February 1st rolled around and the apps didn't start coming out like everyone expected. And I know a lot of you bought into this. I have been in touch with Mark and at first it seemed like there was an honest mistake and all of that good stuff. And it may very well have, it may very well turn out that that's what's gone on. However, uh, my my take on this, I don't whether or not he intended to do this, whether or not it's actually a scam or or he's just poor at managing his affairs, his business affairs. He had some some various things that he says kind of cropped up and and took him by surprise, et cetera, et cetera. The end result is he's not managing this properly for whatever reason. And I would encourage anyone who has signed up for this to do everything you can to get your money back. I think PayPal has actually been quite good to a couple of listeners here uh, about getting them their money back and uh, doing the whole full recourse thing. And I, I, I'd like to apologize. I mean, I, I know it's not our fault. I'd like to apologize for uh, for leading you astray. Uh, obviously, we had no way of knowing, but uh, but I just want to get that out there as as quickly as we can. And this is the best way to do it. So. That's uh, that's 20 Mac apps. And, and I wouldn't recommend buying that at this point. If uh, if it does kind of clear up and, and we find out anything more, we'll, of course, be happy to to tell you about that. So that's uh, that's the start of the show. Not not a great way to start it, but certainly public service oriented. Well, I got a great thing to start with then. Then go. So imagine my joy when, you know, I got home today and, you know, start up my uh, my G5 uh, dual G5 with Leopard. And, oh, a software update. Hmm. Yeah. And this is the one we've been waiting for. And, of Finally. course, it was reported on today. And it was a whopper. I, I don't remember the exact size, but on the Motorola platform, I think it was over 100 megabytes and probably just as sizable on the Intel platform, Dave. I, yeah, I, I don't I, know. it was about 180 on my MacBook Pro. And I think on the iMac G5 over at the house, I think it was, yeah, 130 maybe. So, but yeah, certainly it's very sizable. Okay, but then to get into the um, the details of it, so uh, what I noticed, at least on this machine, and you know, Intel may be different, but so it ran the update. It quit, and and now the thing, the the big difference in the software update on Leopard versus Tiger is that Leopard it kind of quits everything, which is you know probably as it should be because a lot of OSs will say, you know, you really should quit everything before you apply a, a OS update. And of course, none of us do. I, could, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it it, it got well, like if you're going to let do it, then right. I'm going to while other things are running, Absolutely. either force it. And I've noticed some things, for example, Adobe and some other, uh, you know, companies, they force you to quit the stuff because they know that bad things can happen if you have too much going on when you're doing a software, especially an OS update. Yes. 
so anyways, I did the update. So of course now, you know, Leopard quits everything. And my only gripe is that at least on the Motorola install, I, I didn't get a good indication of what was happening. It probably took about under 10 minutes, uh, over five minutes. But the first thing I saw, so I get the dialog box from a software update. It says patching files. I'm like, okay, that's good. And it shows a progress bar with 0% uh, progress. Then it now, says did running it, did installer it actually say? Script. Did it actually say zero percent, or just that you're say, you're you're interpreting the, the results bar of the bar? Had no, nothing in no the bar. No progress. Okay, got it. I saw a progress bar. There's no blue. To me, that's zero. It didn't yes. say zero percent, but but yeah, your your point's well taken. Got it. Okay. Then it said running installer script. Then it said writing package receipt, which if you've you know listened to past shows, you know that that means the OS is writing kind of a record of what it did. Um, for various reasons, so you can see what happened, and also just, you know, in the future, it can look there and say, oh, this has been done already. Immediately after that, the progress bar went like a rocket, and it went from zero to 100, and then the screen went blank, and this is something that I ran into in the past, and a caution to some people, is it was a blue screen, no background, no nothing, blue screen, not the blue screen of death like Windows, but and, and not the Mac blue screen, it was just a blank screen. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait. Eventually I saw what I'm going to go s- call the spinning, you know, progress indicator that you see. Right. And then the machine rebooted. I'm like, ah, that's good. Now I didn't have the sound plugged in and it was, you know, rebooting with the Apple and the progress wheel. And then all of a sudden it rebooted again. I'm like, mm, okay, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's something to be concerned about. You may want to take note of, but for this update, because it was so huge and massive, I think, just it required a you know interim reboot to just do it do all its stuff but then when it was done everything seemed to be working you know according to plan i you know the first thing i did of course was go to the apple menu about this mac and it says mac os 10 version 10.5.2 and here's a little little geek tidbit here if you yep. click on version 10.5.2 once Oh, build 9C31. You can now be one of the cool kids that talks about Mac OS in terms of a build number. And then if you <laughs> click on it again, it shows you the serial number of your computer. Pretty cool. Undocumented as far as I know, but it's a cool little thing in the about the smack box. And uh, now, Dave, you, you, you probably went through the update too. Do, do you have anything to add um, or your thoughts about, you know, what was good, what was bad, uh, what, ha- what happened in your case? Yeah, so in my case, the progress bars both on the uh, on the MacBook Pro and the iMac G5 moved along. I, I, I wasn't obsessing over, you know, how well they were moving along, but, but there were definitely points where the bar, it didn't just jump from zero to 100 at the end. It, it, it definitely kind of crept along in both cases. To be honest with you, I don't know if it rebooted twice or once. I, I in both cases, I was, you know, sort of kind of half paying attention to the machine. And then all of a sudden it was up at the login window. And I thought, OK, great. That's, you know, a very mm-hmm. good sign, especially since, you know, we have to record this podcast soon. And even though I don't record on a, a 10.5 machine yet, though, with 10.5.2, I probably will upgrade the dual G4. Uh I do rely on it for, for various bits and pieces of information. So it was, you know, sort of a risky move, but I kind of figured Apple made to learn their lesson. So I, I mm-hmm. you know, I, I was all right with it, but, uh, but yeah, it, it worked fine. It came up now. It, it's important to note that really the ten five two update is coming out in two pieces. You have the ten five two update itself. And then immediately following that, you are eligible to receive the leopard graphics update. You won't see it when you see 1052 because it needs that first. Once you have 1052, then if you run software update again, you'll get the Leopard graphics mm-hmm. update. And this is a pretty big update. This is about 50 megabytes and it's uh, a, re- a whole new set of graphics drivers for uh, for Leopard. I, I, I don't have all the specifics on it. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm sure we have them linked here, but uh, but. From what I understand, it's it's recommended that you take this one uh, immediately after you grab 10.5.2. So if you went and grabbed 10.5.2 and say you're set to, you know, check software update every week automatically, go ahead and, and force it to run again so that you can go and get that that uh, graphics update and make sure you're all up to snuff. So, mm. yeah. OK, one thing I mentioned is that um, software update in general, there is if you go to the software update system preference, not control panel. Yeah. <laughs> and um and there, there are a couple of checkboxes, and there's one, download important updates automatically. Um, right. I leave that on. I don't know about you, Dave, but I, but I kind of like that. So, yeah. So, 
Now, I'm not sure if the graphic update is considered an important update. Certainly the OS update was, but I'll, I'll probably see a you know, notification soon. Yeah, um, yeah. But there were several um, new features, I think, that you found, Dave, um, in this update that I think a, lo- a lot of people want to know about. Yeah, so going through uh, in, in order alphabetically, I guess, which is kind of looking through the 10.5.2 update, there's a lot of things listed here, and we'll link to this in the uh, in the show notes. But uh, Back to My Mac uh, has a lot better support for other routers other than Apple's routers. So if you were having some flakiness with Back to My Mac, and let's face it, who wasn't, uh, this may fix that. At least it's, you know, it shows that they're working on it. They're aware of it. That's a good thing. Uh, the dock, a lot of people complaining about stacks overriding their old and uh, preferred folder view option that was available in Tiger. Well, now it's back and you can uh, and you can set that in in the dock. So that's that's, I'm sure, a welcome change. John, uh, I know this next one, you're, you're just going to uh, run all over it here. The desktop. <laughs> yes. So this, I think I, I ranted about it a, a certain length when when the OS first came out. But now when you go to desktop and screensaver, there is a checkbox translucent menu bar you can turn it off because i quite honestly was really frustrated with the translucent menu bar showing the kind of starry background and there was like a a blip in there and i'm sure i'm not the only ocd person that just saw that and said oh this is terrible how can i get rid of it and there were hacks and you know you could go in the plist files and stuff but Thank you. Thank you for listening to my pleas because it, it just threw me. And I don't know how you felt about the you know translucent menu bar, Dave. I, I just really despised it. Now I'm very happy because it just doesn't distract me anymore. That's good. It, you know, the translucent menu bar never bothered me. But while we're on the subject of please, uh, I'm, I'm moving on to the next set of uh, updates listed here. And there's some iCal improvements, fixes what have you there's something missing from this and so i'd like to register my (laughs) own plea and that is can we please for the love of all that is good and pure have recurring to do's now i know (laughs) that the calendar store framework which is the the underlying engine that stores all of the data for ical i know that it supports these so why can't we have the client support them in fact I think it's time for a little extra reverb here, John, because uh, we need recurring to do's. It seems like the, the uh, extra reverb worked with the whole uh, the whole iCal, uh, the whole iChat with tabs thing. It took them a while, uh, but, uh, you know, th- so we're, we're going to we're going to rely on the uh, the handy old reverb unit to to maybe make that dream come true for us here, John. So. It's worked before. It has worked. Uh, it's, we have a hundred percent success rate with it thus far. So we, we just, you know, you, you can't, I mean, come on, you can't beat those odds. Uh, iChat, uh, they say that they've fixed some problems with iChat when connecting to do video and uh, audio chats from behind routers that don't deal with ports properly. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, they've been working on this for what, a couple of years now, three years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Why can't they just take a page out of Skype's book and just make it work 100% of the time, you know? Uh, but anyway, that's, uh, that, that's that. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, printing. Oh, there's, a, there's a, a, a line item here, John. I see it says improves printing performance when using some Microsoft Office applications. Does that mean that they're, uh, they're, they're fixing some of the, the bugs that are buried in the Office 2008 code base there, John? You know, that that's a cynical view of things, I think. <laughs> is it cynical or is it just realistic? Uh, you know, what? I, I, I hate to run on another rant here, but, you know, I got Office 2008 while at Macworld, of course. I, running mm-hmm. on a MacBook Pro, a 2 gigahertz MacBook Pro, the slowest Mac, oh, not quite the slowest, but one of the slowest MacBook Pros out there. Why is it that Office 2004, which was running emulated in Rosetta, didn't really run any slower than Office 2008, which is running totally in uh, in in universal, you know, Intel native mode. I, I, I don't know what they've been up to for all these years. And uh, I'm sure there's some bells and whistles that they've added that they might like. But 
for me, for a guy that just likes to run word and Excel here and there, uh, I'm not really seeing the love. So, but that again, I'm getting off topic. So I'll just, I'll yeah. let that. No, let I've, that I've, uh, I've actually talked to people at the, uh, the nine to five and, uh, they indicate on their Intel max that it, it's, uh, snappier. So they do, huh? They think so. Who the heck knows? They believe. Yeah. It. It depending on what else they believe or they, they, they wish. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I just don't believe. Uh, so anyways, one, I think it was a good update and I think, uh, I'm one sorry, last, the, uh, no, the yeah, Mac one, update. one last thing is the time machine thing uh in in 10.52 time machine there's a menu bar option now a little menulet for uh for time machine if you don't want to have it in the dock or you want to have it and i'm watching it you know it's really mesmerizing in addition to an arrow going around the clock hands move as well so i just noticed that i love the attention to detail something's happening now it's happening while i'm using this machine for skype not so good uh, yeah (laughs) you sound fine so you know Okay, so enough about the update. I think a lot of people have been waiting for it. I, I, based on my experience, everything is running as it did before. I'm not going to say it's snappier because, of course, that always happens after an update. <laughs> but, uh, but I think at this point, it's it's a, a safe bet. But I haven't heard any reports of major disasters. So not yet. We'll see. We'll see what tomorrow brings. Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump into the show. Let's see what uh, what David has to say. John and Dave, love the show. This is David calling from Raleigh, North Carolina, with a problem with wireless. Um, I have a MacBook Pro 10.5 Leopard, and when I am surfing wirelessly, just fine, connected to my uh, D-Link router, I close the lid, the computer goes into sleep, and then an hour or two later, say I want to hop back on and check something out, it cannot find my, uh, my SSID, which is hidden. Uh, it's not made public, and it tries to connect to all my different neighbors' uh, routers, even though mine is the preferred uh, router to look for. So it, it doesn't even show up in the list uh, to connect to my router. So what I end up having to do is reboot the computer, and when the computer reboots, boom, there I am. I'm connected to the proper SSID, and I could go about surfing. Uh, it seems to be just a, a nuisance issue, so I don't know if you had any suggestions or workarounds for that. Uh, keep up the show. I think you guys do a, a great job, and you're certainly keeping this uh, four-month-old switcher uh, a happy camper. So thanks a lot. All right. Uh, so my, my, my gut, John, says I recommend changing the channel. And the reason is I, I, I've found, and I talked about this actually a couple of weeks ago, is that if you've got, in, especially if you've got neighborhood networks, which obviously he has, uh, chances are everybody's sitting on the same channel. And I found that unsecured networks will often take priority over secured networks. I don't have any real um, hard evidence as to that other than my own experience with uh, with with exactly this same problem. So I, I recommend changing the channel. Now, we've talked about Wi-Fi channels before, John. I've I've often talked about them as as a pyramid where you've got channels one through 11 here in the U.S., and I think it goes up to 13 or 14 in other countries. And mm-hmm. each channel, though, the focal point of the channel is different. Uh, they do kind of overlap. John, you found a, a bar graph chart that that actually shows how much they overlap. And it, it, it's quite interesting. I, I, I'm not sure the name of the site where you found it, but uh, Moon, Moon Blink Wi-Fi, I think. But Yeah, uh, Moon Blink Wi-Fi. So, so what they show, and, and when we say overlap, so here's how the signals look is that the signal has a range and at least for this application here we're talking for wi-fi you're talking between 2400 and 2500 megahertz now each channel though is not just a single frequency it's a range of frequencies so for example channel one you get the chart here is 2401 through 2423 megahertz with a center frequency of 2412 now the thing is it overlaps a bit with so every channel in this range and here's here's where it helps if you see this picture is that there are multiple channels probably some channels overlap with other channels some channels are 
separated. And the channels that are unique in that they don't overlap with other channels are 1, 6, and 11. Now, the others, the thing is, when you look at the chart, the more you overlap, the more if somebody else near you is occupying any of those frequencies, especially the overlap frequencies, that's when you start having reduced uh, performance. The thing is, it can work. It's been designed to work if multiple people are transmitting, but hedge your bets and just if somebody in your neighborhood is on a certain frequency, move a little to the right or left or just get totally away from them if you can. So, you know, if, if everybody has one, six or 11, well, maybe you can choose one of these others like two, seven or 12 to kind of get away from them or just choose, choose the channel that not a lot of people are using. Now, there's a few things you could use. Um, one thing that I like is iStumbler and that's a utility which will use your Wi-Fi interface and will show all the other bases and the channels they're on. And also it shows the, I believe, the center frequency. So that's a great tool. You know, whatever channel people are using the least or with the least signal strength, choose that. Yep. And uh, Eric also emailed asking how to change the channel. It's different for every router, but uh, you go into the router's interface and you go to the wireless section. And this is true of Apple's router. It's true of Linksys. It's true of D-Link, all of them. And you'll find right in there, you'll you'll see a list. And again, in the U.S., you'll have options from 1 through 11. Most routers, including Apple's, I believe, all default to 6, which essentially sits right in the middle of the range. It's not exactly in the middle, but it <laughs> essentially sits in the middle of the range. And if you've... Uh, if you if everybody in your neighborhood is sitting on the default of six, if you move to one or 11, you will be completely out of the range of everybody that's in six. So uh, if for me here, I run I run two of them. I run one over at the office and then one at the house. And so all my neighbors are on six. So my one at the office is, at, is on one and my one at the house is on 11. And I had, I guess, through some reset or whatever, a couple of weeks ago I or a couple of months ago, actually, I had set the one at the house back to six, back to the default and started having all these problems. As soon as I bounced it out to 11, life got a whole lot better. So that's yeah. Uh, and also make sure you change the name. Yes. Well, in the case of Apple, I guess it's not so bad. Like I have a new neighbor. I haven't met them yet, but um, I can see something called, I think it's Apple base, you know, OF three, four, whatever the Mac address, which is the, the default Apple well, it's better than the default Linksys one, which is Linksys, <laughs> right? Based on what I've seen, um, at least Apple tries to make a unique, uh, you know, SSID as they call it. Um, so change the name to just anything except the default, and I think it would improve your chances of connecting to it versus finding another one that has the same name, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, they they, they can't hurt. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Robert writes, and he says. Here's my problem. I want to turn on web sharing and start messing about sharing my web pages out over the internet. I'm reasonably certain I can figure out networking issues. However, when I turn on web sharing in Leopard and try to access your personal website, I get a page with an error 403 forbidden as the result. Now, I've tried. It's, I've, I've turned everything on. Apache is up and running. What am I doing wrong? Well, I did some searching on this and... Apparently, when you upgrade from Tiger to Leopard, it's possible that you can have this problem. And as it turns out, I don't run web sharing on my uh, on my on any of my machines here, really. Uh, certainly none of my Leopard machines. I had this problem on my MacBook Pro and there's an Apple uh, knowledge base article or tech note, whatever you want to call it, that uh, tells you what to do. It's not. It, it's not the best solution. It's not it's not the easiest solution to take. It involves opening up a text editor and creating some files and then going into the terminal and mucking about with them. But it does let you fix it. And uh, it's an article number, mm -hmm. what, 306-884. And we will link to it, of course, uh, in the uh, mm -hmm. in the show notes and right in the AAC that's created, of course, by Michael Johnston of iPhone Alley. So. I think I think that'll that'll solve it for you. I know my brother had the same problem on his machine that he upgraded and uh, he ran through this and it fixed it. No problem. So that should do it. Anything else, John, on that one? Or nope. Are we moving on? OK, uh, Pete has an interesting networking tip that I think we can share. Hi, my name is Pete and this is uh first time calling. I'd, I'd kind of surprised I didn't call on something on more of my technical expertise, but there was a show, let's see, two weeks ago, it was number 138, 
And in it, there was a guy who wanted to transfer files from one account to another because he was having problems with mail. While I don't recommend transferring, you know, you know moving all your stuff and changing permissions, there is a, a way that you can use. Oh, I'm going to catch my breath, so let me uh, so just edit this part out. <laughs> it's all right. We'll let you go. Uh, okay, so uh, the trick is to use the Dropbox. Well, that'll, what that'll do is it'll copy everything over, and it'll also change the permissions on the fly. So, you know, switchers and new users to OS 10 don't have to mess around with permissions or change mod or anything like that. So it's uh, it's pretty slick. And the only downside is you have to turn on sharing. I think uh, I think it's on by default in Leopard, but I think you have to turn on sharing for the Dropbox, and you also have to. Well, basically, you lose you know you lose a lot of hard drive space because you essentially duplicated all your account. However, it's also good because it's kind of a backup, and also you can kind of get, get rid of some of the cruft in the uh, library folder. And, uh, you know, sometimes I recommend starting a new. So there you have it, and uh, I'll send an email to uh, give you all the contact info. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Pete. That's uh, that's an interesting piece of advice. Your 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 warning is is well taken. Obviously, you you, you got to be careful what you're doing here because you are duplicating everything. But uh, but but that is a good way of of kind of bypassing the whole permission issue. I think, John, what do you, uh, you got anything to add mm-hmm. there before we move on mm-hmm. to Sam? No, I think the Dropbox keeps the uh, evildoers out. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Sam writes. Hi, John and Dave. I'm looking for a way to connect my Windows PC and my MacBook Pro so they can share files. I don't have a home network, so I was wondering if I could use a double-ended USB cable to connect the two computers. I'm not too sure if this is safe. Is there any way to do this without a server? Also, we only have one printer, and what I usually do is take the USB cable out of the printer and plug it into my Mac, and I do this wirelessly. All right, we'll talk about the uh, the printer in a minute here. Uh as far as connecting the two computers, I'm 99.99% certain that USB won't do this. I, as, as far as I know, there's no USB networking standard. Uh, but you can take both. I'm assuming both computers have Ethernet ports. You can take a standard Ethernet cable. In the old days, you needed a crossover cable. But uh, Apple's all of Apple's Ethernet ports on their on their new computers, and I think the new meaning in this sense, probably the last four or five years, have all had mm-hmm. what are called auto sensing Ethernet ports. So if it sees that it's connected to a hub or a switch, it goes and sets it to normal Ethernet. If it sees that it's connected to another computer, it actually will flip the cable and automatically cross it over. So uh, if you have both computers set to DHCP. And uh, it, they'll, neither one will be running a DHCP server, so they'll both just grab um, 169.254 addresses and both be able to see each other, and you can share files that way. So that, uh, mm. that, that would definitely work. Uh, you need to, the best way to do it would be to enable Windows sharing on your Mac and then have the Windows machine connect to your Mac because it'll, your Mac will give you the address that you need to use and everything. And it, it, uh, yeah, I would... I'm with you. An IP connection. So what you were describing, so a few things. So you were describing an IP connection, which may work. Mm-hmm. Those you pointed out, the 169 addresses sometimes, I mean, depending on who's serving things up. So I would, I think I'm with you is to use either Apple Talk or Windows file sharing, which kind of takes this into account is that it, even if it will basically create a local volume that all the other volumes on the network can see. Well, either even if you're doing Apple or Windows sharing, you're still doing it over IP though, and you need to use that that DHCP that automatically self-assigned address. But it should work cuz you cuz you get 169.254 as as your address and your hmm. subnet is 255.255.0.0. So they'll all see each other. There's just no way to route it is hmm. is, is all that is. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I think those were, well, one, one other thing is firewire. Oh, now I just remember this because, uh, one of the new, uh, boxes I got, which I got to admit is nice. Now don't shake your fist at me, but it was a, it is a Dell, um, quad core machine. It doesn't have two quad cores like some other people like Apple, but still it's a cool machine, but I ordered it because I was using it for video work with a 1394, which is a, you know, firewire six pin, type of port because that's pretty popular in the uh, the video world, you know, with video cameras and uh, and other hardware. Um, and I was in the control panel for it, and I noticed that FireWire, and, and it's, I don't, uh, I haven't done this because I 
Well, I really should try because I have two machines that have <laughs> FireWire. Um, FireWire can do IP. USB, based, uh, I back you up, Dave. I haven't seen anything where out of the box you plug in two USB machines. I mean, they can do a lot of things, but I don't think they can do IP. Somebody may have come up with something. It'd be interesting to hear what people have to say. But um, FireWire can do um, IP, which may not be a bad idea because FireWire can be pretty snappy yeah. if you don't have a good uh, gigabit uh, network um, or you know hundred hundred base T, then th- that may be a good way to do it. So FireWire, though I haven't tried it, though I you know I think I'll try it this weekend just to see what happens because I have a long cable and I have two machines to have FireWire. So um, there you go. That about wraps that up. Yeah, to, to the the USB thing. The more I think about it, it's impossible because both computers are going to try and act as as hubs, and uh, right. and it's just not going to work. There's I, there's no way to do it. Neither computer is going to be able to go into uh, slave mode, if you will. They're both going to try and be the master of the connection, and it's just going to be a disaster. Actually, yeah, you need some wacky software and hardware to yeah. pull that up. Yeah, and and in the end, I think you'd be unhappy with it. Uh, as for sharing the printer wirelessly, yeah, you, you can uh, connect it to your, the best thing to do would be to connect it to your Mac and then turn on your Mac's airport card and put it into, um, uh, ad hoc mode, you know, share, share this computer's connection and then connect the windows machine to it, uh, again, the same way. And then you're probably best, uh, you can, you can try and muck with the IP stuff, but in this case, uh, there is Bonjour for Windows. Go ahead and install Bonjour for Windows on your Windows machine, and that'll totally take care of it and connect everything, and uh, you should be able to print to the printer no problem. You'll have to go and download the Windows-specific drivers for your printer, but uh, but you should be able to find those. You said your printer's brother, uh, so go to brother.com, and yeah, I'm sure you'll find them there. So that's, uh, that's that. All right, moving on to Joe. Speaking of print servers... Joe says he has a D-Link USB print server that he's been using for a while. It works with his laser printer just fine, and all his Macs work fine with it. He writes, Unfortunately, I cannot seem to get my sole PC to connect to it for printing. My main problem, I think, is the fact that I can no longer remember or determine the IP address that the server uses on my local network. I've opened the printer properties, and it knows the printer server port name, but nothing about the IP address it is being served from I've got a Linksys WRT54G router and thought I'd be able to at least see the addresses it is serving. But if you can, it's not obvious. I've even tried typing in my browser the addresses from dot one to dot one fifty as it's served from the router. Still no luck. I'd have thought maybe the console log would indicate the address when something was printed. I indeed got a message, but no actual IP address. I know there has to be a way to get this, but I'm out of ideas. Perhaps this could be worked into a general troubleshooting session. Joe, you're in the network session, so it's it's even better. And it just so happens that uh, this weekend when I was resetting up the iMac, and if we have time, I have more stories about that, uh, that I, I stumbled onto a utility called Wake on LAN. And it's because for some reason, the uh, Apple remote desktop, even though it will offer to wake computers, it won't wake my MacBook Pro. I don't know why, but it won't. However, this Wake on LAN utility will. And one of the things this wake on land utility does, John, is when you start it up, it goes and offers to scan your entire network. And the cool thing is it actually tells you not just what that it found devices at any given address, but also what type of device it is. Now, I don't know where it's pulling that data from. I don't know if it's looking at the Mac address and then looking that up online or if it's actually pulling the data out of the uh, the card somehow. But suffice to say, it found the two HP uh uh, devices I had on the network and identified them as such as printers. And so I'm, I'm thinking that would work extremely well for Joe. Obviously the, the focus of the software is not at all related to what Joe's trying to do, but I think that that scan might just give you the best option. There's also a, a piece of software called IP net monitor, which uh, from sustainable softworks, which in addition to many, many other things, also has a uh, an, an address scanner, which is is what you're looking for here, and that might help as well. Mm-hmm. So, address scanners, um, something I could toss in. There's a very nice one. Now you have to get kind of down and dirty with a package manager like Fink or something like that. But Nmap mm-hmm. is a very nice program that could do all sorts of security scanning. But one thing it can do is do a 
uh, IP range check. So if you say, start here, start here, ping, tell me what's up, um, that may be a good way to, uh, another good way. Now, I've also found something, I think, Dave, what the utility you were looking at does is there's something called SMNP. Uh, SNMP, Simple Network Monitoring Protocol? You know that could be it. And a lot of devices, especially network devices like routers and all that. So I suspect what, what you were um, looking at before probably did some SNMP probing because a lot of devices like routers and other things will say, hey, here's what I can do. And this is one of the protocols where you can query a device and it has a whole tree and a whole standard. It's, it's quite frightening, actually, if you look at it. Um, but it says, hey, here's what I can do. So... Yeah. Um, I think that fits in. So Nmap, but Nmap I like as a general security scanning tool um, as well. Now, the, the other thought I had here is if you don't know what your device does, because I ran into this, as you recall, with the last show with uh, my wireless router, is you can try to go online and find what the, the uh, you know, what what is the big red switch? In right. other words, what is the thing you do to the device to make it wake up in a known state, which a lot of times, you know, Linksys and, and almost everybody, it'll wake up with a certain IP address or something that you can hit on a local network. So um, in this case, you may want to forget about the info that's stored in the device. Hopefully it's not critical like keys and stuff like that and just reset it. It'll probably land on a 192 address like a lot of things do, or if not, the documentation will tell you along with the default password and there you go. Yeah, there you go. Our first sponsor for this show is Barebone Software with BB Edit. Now, BB Edit 8.7.x, and I'm not sure exactly what version they're up to with the various enhancements and bug fixes, but 8.7 adds a lot of cool features to this very, very robust text editor. Some of the new stuff, code folding. You know when you're in the Finder and you twist open the little triangles to show the contents of a directory... Well, you can do the same thing with functions that you've written in just about any language. Uh, BB Edit will sense what language you're in, and it'll put these little triangles next to the, 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 the header of your function. You can twist them up and really make your code nice and, and compact. And then when you find the function you want to edit, you just twist it down, you edit that one, and boom, you twist it back up, you're good to go. doesn't change any of the code, just change the way changes the way you see the code. It's also got clippings, uh, which... It's kind of an enhancement of BB Edit's glossary. You can create little text snippets and use them in various different ways. Also has what I've always called the Dave Hamilton feature because they added it for me. Uh, when you're in BB Edit and you have 16 jillion documents open, you can have some from your local drive, some from FTP servers, and you quit and then you relaunch. You can set a preference that reopens all the same documents in the same way Uh the only thing it doesn't preserve is screen location, but it does preserve if you had, you know, five documents in one drawer and six documents in another, those all get preserved. So BB edit from Barebones software at barebones.com. And with that, we're going to let Matt uh, tell us about his iMac. Dave and John, I really appreciate the show. Been a listener since about day one. Went back and listened to them all. Uh, a great podcast. You guys do great work. Appreciate it. Uh, I have a little trouble with my iMac G4 uh, flat panel, 1.25 gigahertz. Um, all of a sudden, in the last couple weeks, still running uh, Tiger. Uh, nothing will uh, eject. Uh, everything. Every time I try to eject either an iPod or uh, my external drive or even a CD I've burnt in iTunes, it just comes up and says, files are being used by a other application. You can quit all the applications that are open. You can even quit the finder, and it still comes back to the same thing. I can sneak it out when I either put it to sleep or something like that, which still isn't good for the devices, and my new 16-gig iPhone is on its way, and I want to get the problem solved before too long. Obviously, don't want to go ejecting those things, the new iPhone, incorrectly. Uh, really appreciate the help. All right. Uh, I think that was where he was going to tell us his hmm. uh, his email and all that contact mm -hmm. info, John. Um, I'm I'm kind of at a loss. It obviously, well, maybe not so obviously. To me, it's, don't be at a loss. 
it seems like, John, that something's got to be running, that the OS doesn't usually report that the drive is open when it's not open. So something's got to be going at this. Now, I know he's quit all the apps, so maybe there's some uh, process under the hood. Maybe there's another user logged in, although I I think he probably would have caught that. Uh, Well, I found the answer. Go ahead. Well, I I searched uh, Apple's uh, support database and... Mac OS 10, 10.4 help, though. I can't eject a disk or unmount a volume, blah, 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 blah. If this happens, wait a few moments and try ejecting the disk again. (laughs) Nice. That's real helpful. All right, Matt, we'll take that advice and uh, you, you, you're, you should be good to go. Thanks. Uh, thanks no, again no, no, for, no, no, oh, no. Yes, no, here we're going to we're going to peg the geek meter here. OK, we're going to go all, all the way to the other end here. OK. Um, and actually, I found this uh, via a tip on uh, Mac OS 10 hints, uh, one of my favorite sites. And I think one of yours, Dave. Mm-hmm. And here's a and, and you may have used this, Dave. I'm, I'm not as much the Unix uh, geek because you manage a whole farm of Unix machines. But anyways, there's a cool little command, which I think could help out in this case. LS, which a lot of you know, so you go to the terminal. LS is a directory command in Unix. And then OF, which I'm going to guess stands for open files. Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Sure. And so we'll link to the we'll link to the tip. It was a good discussion because somebody was asking the same thing. How do I know what the heck's going on now? This is where it gets into a bit of um, skill or wisdom or I don't know what you're going to call it. Unix today, and and maybe you have a, a a thing. So basically, what you can say is LSOF and then a bar, which uh, I guess is a pipe, right? Yeah, you want to put or, a space uh, there. LSOF space. And then space. The, the pipe, which and then is a vertical bar, right? Shift of right. uh, the slash above the return key on most Macs. Yep, 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 yep. And then grep, and then in parentheses, double parentheses, a space after grep. What you're looking for, and I think in, in some cases you may want to. Well, this is where maybe I'll hand it off to you, Dave, because in some cases I, I guess you may want to, from what I read in some of the tips, look for. Well, I don't know, cash or username, or do you have any guidance on this? I, I do. So uh, the way I use it, and and I think the double parens is fine, but uh, I would do LSOF space uh, pipe space grep space open quote, or just quote, double quote. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I would type slash volume slash the name of whatever your... Uh, your your drive is right so if if it's your iphone and it's called dave's iphone Mm -hmm. you type slash volume slash you know dave's iphone or whatever and and you can even Mm -hmm. do slash volume slash dave just enough to make it unique and then end quote and hit enter and you'll see not only it, it gives you a list of all the processes that have files open it'll show the file and the process that it's related to now the trick is you might not know what that process is, but you know, if it's backup D well, now, you know, it's time machine. If it's uh, finder, well, then, you know, it's the finder, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it could be, could be one of a jillion things, obviously, but, uh, but this, it, it certainly would give you, I like this. This is great, John. I, I hadn't thought of this, but th- this is great. It, it'll give you a path to head down. You might need to take some of the results of that, and and Google some of the bits and pieces to figure out what the different processes might do. But that's certainly a, a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The hint that I saw basically, and I think this was the right, a way to find the, the person had a problem dismounting their iDisk. So by searching for the volume name of their iDisk in the grep phrase. Yep. They were able to see what files were open. If you see what files are open, you know what application could be bookmarks, calendar, whatever the heck, um, you know, dot Mac or, or iDisk is backing up, then at least you see what file is open. Now, unfortunately, and, you know, hint to the Apple people that are listening, I think there's one or two. Um, it'd be nice is when you had that error that it would say why it had a problem. You know, I can't quit because this file's doing something. Yeah. Maybe useful. Now yeah. it could, you know, maybe a detail tab because you've seen that on some of the uh, the dialogues as of late. I, I I have noticed that they've been improving the granularity of the dialogues that they don't tell you too much, but if you want to know a little more, you can. But in that case, it could say, you know, this file is busy. Let me tell you which one it is, and maybe you could figure out from that what application is having a problem. So, yep. yep. And, and just to uh, just to 
kind of close the loop here. Grep is a command line based search. So what you're doing is you're taking the output of LSOF, which is going to be this big, huge laundry list of every open file and what's got it open. And you're you're sending that via the pipe. You're piping that to grep and you're saying, OK, take this big laundry list, send it to grep and only show me the lines that match whatever I've put in quotes. So that that's that's what you're doing here just to kind of have the meta view of of uh, of everything. So that's uh, that's that. Uh, anything more before we uh, jump forward here, John? Nope. Go right. forward. I read an article this weekend. I was actually searching nine to five Mac, which is a, a really cool site. And I thought I saw a thing in the in the sidebar that said Safari is about to get a whole lot faster. And as it turned out, it was a link to Seth Weintraub, the uh, the publisher of nine to five Mac. He also writes for Computer World and he published a link there uh, or published an article on Computer World about WebKit. Now, we all know that WebKit, many of us know that WebKit is the core uh, foundation, if you will, of uh of Safari and Apple contributes greatly to this effort, but it is all open source. Well, WebKit releases nightly builds of their browser. Now it's effectively Safari. Um, it's called WebKit, but it reads all your Safari preferences. It reads them right. The same cookies, uh, all the same passwords, all that stuff. So if you run WebKit on your Mac, it's going to have your same bookmarks and everything. But there have been some fundamental changes which haven't yet rolled out to the OS and did not come in the 10.5.2 update tonight that uh, that do make it quite quite a bit faster. I've I've run it on both the iMac at the house and the MacBook Pro. The MacBook Pro is way faster. The iMac, I'm not sure that machine that machine's having some problems. In fact, (laughs) if any of you work in Apple Care or know anybody in Apple Care that can kind of help guide (laughs) me here, it it has turned into a huge fiasco. it, not the least of which, of course, this has nothing to do with Apple Care, John, but the DHL driver showed up the other day, right, with the new hard drive. Finally, after like six days, he finally shows up. I'm on the phone. I see him pull in front of my office. Now, you know, we've got the big kind of the driveway opens up between the office yeah. and the house. I see him pull up. He starts to slow down. Now, it, it was snowing out. And then he guns it and whips the back of the, the DHL truck all the way around and does a 180 in the driveway. And I go out and I'm like, dude, what's going on? You, you almost lost it. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. I did that deliberately. That way I don't have to do a three-point turn. Like, if you could have killed my kids or my dog. You're crazy. You can't mm-hmm. do that. That's the least of the problems. Well, I have a saga of a lesser extent. Yeah. I got a package. I'm, I'm sorry, DHL. <laughs> we apologize. But I got something on my, uh, my front door. And yeah. It was a DHL package. It was for the house next to me. Oh, yeah. The thing is, my house has the number right out front, and the number on the package is clearly not the number of my house, but the house next to me. Dude. Why did the DHL guy leave it for me? So, DHL, sorry, guys. Yeah. Uh, it, it, <laughs> their reputation precedes them. But anyway, uh, I'm not going to get into all the details of, of the, <laughs> the, the uh, G5 here because we're, we're moving along. And I do have one last question. I, I've kind of left it out of every show so far, but I get... I've, I've gotten a lot of emails about this recently, so I figure I'll just throw this out here. I, I've done this once once more, and we'll let, we'll let Mike ask the question. Dave, this is Mike. What band are you in? What instrument do you play? Do you have any albums out? Come on, fill us in. We want to know. My name is Mike. You can reach me. All right, I'll just reach you here. Okay, uh, so the bands that I play in don't really have any albums out. Uh, you, it's hard to find my playing on the web currently because I just kind of moved up here to New Hampshire. So the band I play in more than one band, but the bands that I do play in uh, kind of had demos together before I uh, before I came around. So, but but that said, there are three. I play the drums, and uh, and there, well, there's two bands and then one that I kind of moonlight in. So there is uh, a band called Fling which is a mostly original project. But when we gig out, we dig gig out sometimes during the summer and, and we'll play some covers as well. Uh, playing originals that these guys write. They're fantastic. Flingrocks.net is the, uh, is the website. And that'll actually, I think Russ has that redirecting you to a MySpace page. Actually that has the demos there have me playing on them. They're, they're sort of unfinished demos. The drum tracks are recorded in a studio. Some of them, there's two drummers in that band. So, uh, and sometimes I'll get up and sing. So that's one band. The second band that I play that I gig out in fairly regularly is called Ghetto Fabulous at GhettoFabulous.cc. And 
we recorded a bunch of demos. I'm not sure that the ones that we recorded made it to the website yet. Again, that's up to uh, Jim in, in that case. And, and, uh, and that band plays around quite a bit. Uh, and then this Friday, uh, the 15th, I'm actually playing with a band that uh, I used to play with and I kind of moonlight with occasionally called Knockoff. And that website is knockoffthebandcom And this Friday we're playing at a place called Overtime in Beverly, Massachusetts. So if you ever want to come out, come out, say hi. Obviously, I don't bite. And uh, I think that answers that uh, that answers that question. And, and and then we can bring in the old band, which uh, which actually our, our theme song, John, is is from. Uh, from a band that I played in years and years and years ago called Go Figure. And uh, Go Figure. Go Figure. That was a that was the college eight college days band and, and this is from yep. an album. And if we- you want the scandalous Dave band pictures, you know who to write. <laughs> hey, if you have any Go Figure pictures, send them in, John. I, I don't I don't know that I have any digitized here. Scandalous. Oh those, not those pictures. <laughs> uh, okay, so last Tuesday we saw Apple kind of sort of update the iPhone. They 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 offered a version up the with, RAM, right? with the fl- double the flash memory and also double the the flash memory, the maximum in the uh, in the what you call it in the iPod, iPod Touch as well. Do you think maybe tomorrow is the magic day for them to release the new MacBook Pros? I really, you know, I, for us, for you and me, we're gonna we need to order these things. But uh, Apple, listen to me. I will buy now to give me new toys. <laughs> Tomorrow could be the day. I know there's there's rumors of a of an event happening yeah. toward the end of uh, February here, but but I I think that's kind of the whole i iPhone SDK and maybe uh, you know my my theory is that they're going to do a price drop on it. I, I posted something at iPod Observer. Oh, not another lawsuit. No, I don't think there'll be a lawsuit. Oh, maybe. Oh, people. So of course, there'll be another lawsuit. What am I saying? They lower the prices. I've been slighted. I've been bamboozled. That's what will happen. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get out of here. Uh, what do we need to what do we need to say before? Two oh six 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 geek, which is Dave. Four three three five. Good feedback at MacGeekGab.com, And you can Skype to MacGeekGab. Any one of those ways is a great way to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you and uh, always happy to go through all that comments stuff. Rock. Comments rock. Yeah, all you folks posting comments at iTunes, keep it up. It's fantastic. We love to see it. We know you like to see it too, and it helps us attract new listeners. In fact, you know, you folks are so good. You know, you, 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 uh, Go and, and, and check out all the advertisers that, that support the show, and we really appreciate that. One thing you can really do to help us is go out and and and, and tell your friends about the show. Uh, you know, tell, tell people that you know, look, this is a show that I like, and I think it might help you because, you know, spread the word. We'd, we'd, love, to, uh, we'd love to see that happen because uh, the more of you that listen, the more we can do with the, with the show. Obviously, it allows us to... Uh, to you know, pulling some funds that we can use to keep things going here, which is what we like. And to they do. could be famous if they call in. They That's could right. get their voices heard by tens of hundreds of well, by somebody, by somebody, by you. That's right. <laughs> uh, the podcast marketplace this month has the uh, A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, a free download from Audible.com as long as you use the right link, which is AudiblePodcast.com/slash MacGeekGab. A PDF pen from Smile on My Mac, and of course, Harmon-Etravel.com. And with that, John, I think it's time to go. We've been here. We've mm. been here a while tonight. Actually, we started late. Mm. I'm sleepy. Yeah, I was kind of sleepy when we started, but I got all jazzed up during the show. It's a good thing. Mm.